It's been a long, cold winter, but it's finally showing signs of spring, and that means the bass in the local ponds are starting to wake up, and that's one of my favorite times of year. We're going to talk about that and more on this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast. I'm Chad Lachance, and you're listening to Fishful Thinker, the podcast. All things fishful, all the time. Hey guys, Chad Lachance here. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Fishful Thinker, the podcast, of course, brought to us by Sportsman's Warehouse every week. Visit your local Sportsman's Warehouse or check them out at sportsmans.com. Those guys are very important to us. They make sure we can bring you the content from the television to the YouTube to this here very podcast. So, springtime. Guys, it's springtime, finally. It's been a rough winter this year. I've had... Lots and lots and lots of snow and lots and lots of wind, and it's been cold, much more so than normal. In fact, my home lake is still mostly frozen, which I've never seen it frozen in the month of March at all, and yet it is still frozen. Uh, probably a 1,000 of the 2,000 acres of the lake are still frozen. So it's uh, been an interesting winter for sure. <clears throat> We've had a lot of ice this year. Excuse me there. We've had a lot of ice this year, and... I think there's a lot of pent-up energy amongst the anglers and for sure probably amongst the fish as well. And this, the way the winter is shaping up and the spring is shaping up, it's looking like it's going to go from winter to summer all in one shot. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to see a big boom in the fish, uh, the fish bite anyway. They're going to go nuts here for a little bit. And it's one of my favorite times of the year. The reason I like fishing ponds specifically and why I wanted to talk specifically about ponds in this episode of the podcast because the ponds will be the first things to warm up. And here in Colorado where I live, uh, you may be in Utah or wherever you're from where where stuff freezes here in the west, um, the reservoirs take a lot longer to warm up than do the ponds simply because they're bigger bodies of water. And in some cases, they've got a lot of water flowing into them that's snow melt as well. So it keeps the reservoirs cold for a long time, but we also have commonly in our region reclaimed gravel quarries, areas where typically they're adjacent to river bottom areas where at times in the past companies came and they mined for gravel and then those ponds are left, they're filled with water, and they are typically pretty decent bass fisheries. They're up and down the front range of Colorado. I've seen them in Utah, so I brought that up. I know there's a couple of ponds outside of, uh, I believe, Laramie, Wyoming, and Cheyenne both that have decent bass populations. Uh, basically, wherever you live, you can probably, if you live somewhere where it gets cold enough, find some bodies of water that are going to warm up very quickly in the spring and make for good bass fishing. And the reason I'm an advocate of the bass fishing this time of year is not because it's easy, because uh, it's not easy, to be honest with you. It's it's can be very tricky. There's very cold, even by northern largemouth standards. The water's still cold. And when I say it's warming up, it might be in the 40s. You know, it's very cold still. <clears throat> but the, the, the reason I advocate bass fishing this time of year is because everybody likes to catch big fish and it's been my extensive experience that the biggest fish in any pond are most likely to get caught in March or early April uh, at least here in my region in your region it may be a little earlier than that or a little later than that depending on what you know where exactly you are and where you're listening from in, in relations to winter uh, but here in Colorado, it's typically somewhere around the second or third week of March that they'll start going as soon as we get ice out. 
and we'll go all the way until maybe the end of April. By then, we'll start seeing fish, uh, depending on how spring progresses, we'll start seeing fish up very shallow, starting to think about spawn in the ponds. They typically will spawn here sometime around the very end of April uh, through the month of May in most of our ponds around town. So, or up and down the front range of Colorado. So what you're seeing is the biggest, most mature females that lead the system, so to speak. They're the, they're the ones that, that know what's going on. They're, the, they're, they're kind of like the lead cow in a herd of elk, so to speak. They're the ones that know what's up, and they'll be the first ones to take advantage of spring trends and start moving shallower. They'll start sunning themselves because they have eggs to incubate. Uh, they'll start taking advantage of very shallow feeding activities and things like that. And those big fish are the ones that we all like to catch. So this is an excellent time of year to catch them because they will come up and they'll be the, the first ones in the system to go. So for instance, if let's say it's a pond, I've got a pond here in town that I fish fairly regular over the course of the summer. I drive by it a lot and I always keep riding my truck. So I'll swing by and make some casts. During the summer, let's say after the spawn, you can catch 10-inch bass till your arms fall off, but you're almost never going to catch a three or four pounder. This time of year, it's exactly opposite. <clears throat> and this is why I'm an advocate of fishing this time of year. This time of year, I might go out there and catch, you know, two bass in an hour and a half, but they'll both be three pounders or three and a half or four pounders or whatever the case might be, depending on the pond. In that same pond, I can produce three pounders right now when the rest of the year I'm lucky to put out a one pound fish. And I think it goes for a couple reasons. One, as I already mentioned, those big females are the first ones to, to get up and get moving. And somebody's going to say, well, a three pounder is not a very big female. Well, it is on a quarter acre pond. Uh, the other ponds in town that have bigger fish in them, same concept. I just don't fish them as much. But, but if you're going to catch a five pounder in a pond up and down the front range of Colorado or a, or a metro pond wherever you live, you're probably going to do it right after ice out because, again, those big ones are the first ones to come up, for one. For two, aquatic vegetation can be an issue, and you'll snag a lot of that aquatic vegetation with a lot of bait, so you're limited to what you can throw once it gets warmer in the summertime. Also, those big females we want to catch are very good at burying themselves in the vegetation or moving offshore into deep water haunts or suspending in along drop-offs. Some of the gravel quarries we're talking about have really strange drop-offs and humps in them because they are man-made bottoms. Uh, the fish will go suspend around those, uh, you know, things like that, which a lot of the ponds you can't put a boat on, which means they're out of range. I can't get to them. Maybe a float tube or something you could, but a bank angler can't get to them. But in March, when there's no weeds up and the fish are trying to be shallow, the pre-spawn females are trying to be shallow to get warm and feed and incubate their eggs, well, now I can reach them from the bank. And as a bank angler, that's key, right? I need the fish within casting range for one, and I need them to be where I can deal with them with the vegetation. And a lot of the gravel quarry ponds that I fish, and I've fished a ton of them over the years, one of my favorite things to do, a lot of the ponds I fish have hard outside weed lines, meaning that the weeds grow from the bank, aquatic weeds like uh, elodia grass or you know something like that, coontail, um, you know, hydrilla, depending on where you're from in the south, uh, something like that, there is going to be a hard outside weed line where the weeds grow from the bank all the way out to wherever deep water, wherever light ceases to hit the bottom of the pond, there'll be a hard edge right there. And there's going to be a lot of fish on that edge, which is great if you can fish from the 
other side of it. But if you're on the bank and you're trying to fish that edge, it's much more difficult because, again, you're fishing against the, the grain or against the, the vegetation. But now those weeds aren't up yet, and they're just starting to form for the year. As soon as the ice goes off, the weeds will start turning green in a hurry. Uh, we'll get the longer solar periods and all of that. The weeds will start to green up, and the fish will gravitate right to them immediately, which is my first tip of the nuts and bolts of this. If you're going to go fish ponds of any kind, small ponds, you're going to go walk the banks of a small pond in March or April, you are going to be looking, your first tip to locate fish is looking for the greenest weeds in the system. So if I'm walking around a pond, all things being equal, and, and three quarters of it's just got old dead vegetation from last year, but one corner of it's got a little bit of fresh green that started up from this year, that's where I'm fishing every time. And that's at least where I'm going to start and make the fish prove me wrong. And the reason is this, the green vegetation is a good illustration of where the sunlight is hitting the bottom of the pond at a, at a high level for one. Uh, typically it's gonna grow in a dark mud bottom for two, so it's gonna soak up heat in a hurry. And then also it's going to provide oxygen because it is now a plant that is growing rather than a plant that is decaying. And anytime a plant is decaying, it will deprive the water of oxygen. Anytime a plant is growing, it will release oxygen into the water and fish uh, they need that dissolved oxygen. So they will gravitate right to those green weeds as will the rest of the food chain. So the first clue is look for the greenest weeds that you can find. <clears throat> if there's a bunch of weeds in the pond already, you may be a little bit late. Um, so make your calendars for next year to check it a little bit better. But also, if there is a bunch of weeds in the system, anywhere there's two different kinds of weeds coming together is a good call. Next thing I'm going to look for besides aquatic vegetation is going to be um, cattails, which technically I guess are aquatic. I'm not really sure if they're terrestrial or aquatic, but they grow, they grow above the water. Cattails that are starting to come up will also be uh, indicative of warm water areas and areas with lots of sunlight. So as far as terrestrial vegetation goes, that can be a good one to look for. Uh, another really good thing to look for in springtime when the water's real cold like this is for sure any sort of hard cover, um, particularly rock cover, hard rock cover. Riprap, you know, broken riprap is an excellent choice. Uh, you see that in quarry ponds around town in various places, maybe where they have sidewalks along them or a road along them where they had to stabilize the pond. That can be really important. Um, you know, with a, with a riprap itself. Another really good one could be um, concrete itself, like a concrete wall. And I find these, at least in my home area, most commonly around culverts. Like you'll have a culvert that runs into the pond uh, or a drain that goes in or out of the pond of some sort. You're going to have some concrete there. There's some of the ponds around here that have that literally have a drain. So if the pond gets certain height, it'll start running in that deal. Those are made out of concrete as well. They're typically like five-foot square concrete things with a grate on top the water will run into that, but the fish will sit right up against the outside of it because it soaks up the heat from the sun, and that's important. It will transfer the heat down through the concrete. They're looking for anything they can get to get warm. If your pond happens to have a boat ramp on it, this is an excellent time to fish the boat ramp as well. So be, for the same reasons, it'll soak up a tremendous amount of heat from the sun, and that's really what they're looking for. Keep in mind, bass, even northern strain bass, uh, 
are happier in the 70 degree range. So when your pond's in the 40 degree range, they're not happy. They're looking for warmer water and they're looking for that sunlight. So that's a key thing you can, you can look for. A really good thing to look for, and this is almost counterintuitive, is overhanging cover. And you say, well, that's, that's strange. It's gonna make shade. I thought we just said we want sunlight and we want warmth. We do. But a lot of that overhanging cover in terms of willow bushes, uh, which is a common one around here, or any kind of shoreline terrestrial vegetation, has not fully greened up yet. And so the sunlight will penetrate through it because it's not all leafed out. And therefore, it will create sun on the bottom anyway. So now the bass has a sense, particularly a really big bass, has a sense of overhanging cover giving him security but he's still getting sun that shoots down through and they'll sit in a sunny spot. So if you look close, you might see bass sitting in sunny spots under overhanging cover in no water at all, like just enough water to submerge the fish. That's very, very common to see around here. Incidentally, I just got back from saltwater fishing and you'll see snook do the same thing in Florida. Snook are very similar to bass and how they act and also their temperature preferences. And you will see them do the same thing in mangrove bushes where the sun will shoot down through the mangroves and hit the bottom underneath it. And the snook will sit in a sunny spot back underneath the mangroves and they stick out like a sore thumb. Uh, you can see them clear as day under there. Same thing with bass around aquatic vegetation. So I'll walk around, or excuse me, shoreline vegetation. So I'll walk around and look and just literally look for the fish. And that can be uh, a really fun way to, to to locate them. Just for the record, very difficult to get those fish to bite when they're sitting like that, but it's an excellent way to go see kind of what areas of the lake they're preferring. When they're sitting under that vegetation like that, they're extremely spooky and uh, you've got to be real good to get them to bite. Usually they're going to push off of there as soon as you get anywhere near them, they'll just move out to the, to the you know, a little bit deeper water. Another thing I'll throw out there, and there's not a lot of these around, but I'll throw it out there anyway. Really good this time of year is a is a beaver hut. And there's some of those beaver huts in some of the ponds around my hometown. I know there's some around the ponds down in Pueblo and Southern Colorado as well. The beaver hut does a great job of soaking up sun because it's a big, you know, dark pile of sticks. It'll soak up a ton of sun and transfer it into the water for one. For two, they always have access to deep water, but typically are in shallow, very shallow water. And so the bass can get shallow and sit near the beaver hut, but they can use the beaver's own escape route to get out to the water. A beaver will make sure that there's deep water up against that hut because he has to be able to get out underneath the ice. So a beaver hut is another key thing I'm looking for. So I'm always looking for the green weeds, any sort of rock or concrete that's in the water or hard gravel bottom for that matter. And then third, I'm gonna look at the beaver huts uh, for sure, as far as things to literally cast around. Uh, very, very important to look at those things. <clears throat> now, keep in mind these are small ponds, so you don't have a lot of options of things to fish. So I'm not going to go into too much detail about that, but those are the key things as far as structure or cover that I'm looking for in the spring of the year. Um, what am I going to throw? That's the next thing. What am I going to throw at my largemouth bass? And my selection this time of year is typically very simple. Uh, the first thing I'm going to advocate is a soft stick worm of some sort. Now for me, that's a Berkeley the General. I like the smell of it. Uh, I like the fact that it's made in Powerbait Maxent, and which means if a fish picks it up, he's going to hold it. I promise you that. It will swim off indefinitely. And if you slack them out, they might even swallow it. So 
It's a very easy bait to get bites with. It's a very slow and methodical bait as well. And soft stick worms were made famous as a do-nothing rig. You throw it out and do nothing. The more you do, the less fish you catch. I wholeheartedly believe in that, especially this time of year. Throw it out, let it go to the bottom. I'll let it sit there for a good 10 or more seconds, 15 seconds, just dead on the bottom without doing anything with it. And then I might pick it up once or twice or drag it forward a little bit and then let it settle back down to the bottom. It's very slow, methodical fishing. And that fits well with the metabolism of a largemouth bass in March in Colorado or Utah or Wyoming or wherever, Kansas or Nebraska or any of the ponds you might fish. The fish are going to be slow. A very slow presentation like that can be an excellent call. I rigged that thing, Texas rig, this is not the time of year I'll throw a wacky rig because it is going to be very, very shallow most of the time or a lot of the time, and I am going to be throwing it right into the greenest vegetation that I can throw it in. Uh, you know, that, that first vegetation that's starting to come up is, is so important, and I'm going to throw that thing right in that vegetation. This time of year for me, color is almost irrelevant. It's, it could be a variety of colors. You let the fish dictate that. I'll carry a light color, a dark color, and a bright color. Bright being you know, a chartreuse or, or a pink or you know, something like that, a really bright color. I'll carry up either a brown, black, or a green pumpkin, and then I'll probably carry a silver or white, something along that line. So literally three colors. It's always the five-inch size for me this time of year. The, the, it's not the time of year to throw the great big bait. It's not the time of year to throw a little tiny bait. We're just, these fish have not seen any pressure. They're looking to eat and they are very slow. So a five inch, you know, Senko style soft stick worm, like I said, a Berkeley, the general or whatever brand it is you like is a great choice this time of year. I'll rig it on a four aught uh, Fusion 19 EWG hook. No weight at all. And it's that slow, subtle fall that works so good for that bait. And, uh, and that's, what I, that's my number one thing to throw in, in, say, March in pond fishing situations. Keep in mind, I keep saying this, the ponds are little. We're not trying to fish 100 acres you know, or 200 acres. We're trying to fish a, a one-acre pond or a half-acre pond or a two-acre pond. So I don't have a lot of stuff to fish. So I can afford forward the time to fish very slow and methodically and make sure that I give my fish every chance to bite. The, the next fastest bait that I'm going to throw, uh, or faster, slightly faster bait than that, uh, is going to be a spinner bait or a chatter bait style bait, a bladed jig of some sort. Um, the, the key to that in this situation is, again, I can fish it right around vegetation, which is important. It's typically associated with shallow water presentation, which is also important in this case. And I can work it fast or slow, depending on whatever blade and head size I have on the bait. So for me, uh, a, a bladed jig, like a slobber knocker, uh, Berkeley came out with a slobber knocker last year. That's been a fantastic version of the bladed jig. Uh, a slobber knocker in the light end of its range. So a... Uh, quarter ounce or three eighths ounce style bait is where I'm looking and I'm just going to work it just fast enough to keep the blades thumping, just crawl it over the bottom and keep that blade going back and forth. Incidentally, that's one of the reasons I like the slobber knocker over other bladed style jigs is the head design on it allows it to really move at a very slow presentation. So for a cold water situation, it's fantastic. If I need to go faster, 
uh, it, it'll handle that just fine, but it, it's one of the few bladed jigs that will thump at a very, very slow retrieve, and that's important. So that's a good choice. Uh, or the spinnerbait. The more weeds that are up, if it's too weedy, I'll go to the actual traditional spinnerbait. In that case, I'm going to use a power blade. Uh, a lot of times this time of year, it's going to have a rounded Colorado style or Indiana style blade as opposed to a willow blade, which is a fa- associated with a faster spinnerbait. A smaller profile with a rounded blade is going to be important. And the, again, the, the rounded blade, for the same reason as the slobber knocker bladed jig, I can work it very slow. And that blade will put off a tremendous amount of vibration and it will hold the bait up slightly. So I can work it even slower than I can other styles of spinnerbaits because that blade displaces a lot of water, even though it's small, and it will provide lift for my bait. So it'll keep it from going down and and hitting the mud and and, and all that. So that's my single biggest deal that uh, as far as whether it be the bladed jig or the spinnerbait is it needs to be able to go slow more than anything else. I will go typically with all natural colors on that at this time of year. Um, but keeping in mind a natural color could be anything from a, from a white spinnerbait that's mimicking shad that are dying off at the end of the year all the way to a bluegill color, which is probably my favorite this time of year, which has got a little bit of green pumpkin to it. Uh, a little bit of purple in it, a little bit of blue in it, same kind of things that you'd see in a bluegill. Uh, or it could be a, just a straight, you know, a green green pumpkin or something like that. For me, I like to mix color a little bit to it, and that's bluegill color is generally where I'm going to head uh, in the spring like this. So, again, I'm going to work those very slowly, but in the same areas I work that soft stickworm. Another bait for me this time of year, particularly if I'm on the early end of the spectrum and especially if there's no vegetation yet or perhaps the pond is not known for its vegetation. In other words, maybe the banks are a little too steep, something like that. Or you've got a pond that's got a lot of rock in it or a pond that's groomed so they burn off the vegetation. Like a, there's a city pond here in town that they, they, <clears throat> they come in, they physically remove the weeds in the summertime. Well, those weeds don't ever grow as good in the, in the spring, and that pond doesn't have as much weed growth. So the bait that I'm gonna throw, if there's a lot of rock and less weeds, or it, just in very general, if there's no weeds yet that are coming up of any problem, is going to be a lipless crankbait. And somebody's going to say, well, wait, that's a fast bait. That's a bait that's made to go you know, high speed, whatever. Well, it is, but that's not how I'm going to fish it. I'm going to fish it on a straight yo-yo retrieve or a lift and drop retrieve, uh, more similar to how you might fish a... a um, like a blade bait, you know, like you would fish in the in the fall of the year, a bottom contact blade bait. I'm going to lift it up off the bottom hard, and I'm going to let the bait flutter back down. A well-designed lipless crankbait will stay vertical as it flutters back down. It will not roll to one side or the other. They're belly-weighted. So for me, that is without question a war pig. In my opinion, it's the most underrated of the baits that Berkeley's come out with in the last 10 years. War pig is a very heavily belly-weighted uh, and a relatively compact lipless crankbait. It's smaller for a given size. Let's say you take a half ounce, say, rattle trap, which was the inventor of the genre, and you compare that 
the size and profile of it with a half ounce war pig, the war pig is considerably smaller and more belly weighted and therefore it works fantastic as a lift and drop or a yo-yo style bait. So the yo-yo style bait is a really, really good choice uh, this time of year. And again, the, the key to it is you rip the bait and that's gonna get the fish's attention and then as it shimmies back to the bottom is when you're almost always gonna get your bites. And why that specific bait? Because I can do that lift and drop so well, because it sinks on its own, as opposed to a crankbait, which needs a traditional bladed crankbait or build crankbait, which requires it to be retrieved to go to the bottom. So the lipless crankbait, I can snap it up hard with a rod tip and let it subtle, you know, flutter its way back to the bottom. It's a great way to get pure reaction strikes out of your fish. So in other words, the fish is laying there, he's freezing cold, he's three quarters asleep, you rip that jerk or that that uh, uh, lipless crankbait up off the bottom and it makes a bunch of noise. You'll hear it, all the BBs will go off, it'll make a bunch of noise and then as it's settling down, they'll just pounce on it. It becomes a straight reaction bite and it's a really good way to catch uh, some big bass in the early spring of the year. So besides those three genres, either spinnerbait or the bladed jig, the soft stick worm or the lipless crankbait, the only other thing I'll even carry this time of year it, at least in March and early April, is going to be a jerkbait, and it's going to be a suspending jerkbait, and it's going to be a shallow suspending jerkbait. So for me, that's going to be a stunna in the smallest size. Um, the reason being that it's I can pull it down to a given depth and let it sit there. It will suspend there, and that's important. Now, why I didn't put it farther up on the list. If you're a fan of this podcast, you're going to know that I throw a lot of jerkbaits in a lot of scenarios, more than almost anybody you probably know, because I believe in the drawing power and the strike drawing generating ability of the lure. Here's why I don't throw it more in ponds. Because I'm on the bank and I'm working it towards my towards the bank, the bait that suspends is going to eventually run into the bank as you retrieve it to you. Plus, we're fishing around shallow water. So, there's fewer ponds around town that make themselves accessible for a hard jerk bait that suspends. If, if there is enough depth, it's one of the first things I'm gonna choose. If I can fish parallel to a newly developing weed line, like get to one corner of the pond where I can cast parallel, I'm gonna grab the jerk bait. But most of the time, it's gonna be the spinnerbait or chatterbait style bait um, or the soft plastic stick worm that are gonna do the heavy lifting and then from there, it's going to go to the lipless crankbait, and then it's going to go from there to the uh, jerkbait. But I keep it simple all the time when it comes to the spring fishing outings. It's really more about getting a fish or two to bite than it is catching a whole bunch of fish. And what I find is changing lures to 20 different genres and three different colors doesn't generally catch me more fish. If I stick to fundamentals and fish thoroughly, which is the most important thing at this time of year when the water's cold, fish very thoroughly. If you think, if any part of you thinks you're around fish, then just settle in and fish very thoroughly. Um, Repeated casts to an area with a jerkbait or lipless crankbait aren't typically going to do well. You need the element of surprise. The flip side of that is the soft stick worm. I can fish that thing through an area every which direction for an hour at a time in a small area and still expect to get some bites, which is one of the things I like about it. A couple key things about fishing this time of year in general. Uh, 
the afternoons are typically your friend. The water's going to be warmer in the afternoon than it is in the morning because we're still getting down, at least in my area, we're still getting well below freezing at night. And the pond will cool overnight, but in the afternoon, we get that high elevation sunshine that cooks into the pond and they'll get noticeably warmer. So your bite can be better in the afternoon or up to just before the sun actually sets can be really good. Another thing that's important, if you can, time it with a multi-day warming trend. If you can do that, you're going to do really good. So, you know, today it's going to be 45 degrees at my house. Well, tomorrow it's going to be 48 degrees, and by Sunday it's going to be 52 degrees. Well, okay, that means I'm on a multi-day warming trend. The fishing should theoretically be best on Sunday, all other things being equal. So the warming trend can definitely be your friend there. Uh, as far as that goes. Another thing I'll throw out there uh, that can help you this time of year is the fish, as I keep mentioning, they'll have a tendency to be very shallow, trying to soak up sun. And you need to be a little bit stealthy then. One thing, I was fishing one time and I was watching some fish that I could see and they were sitting along a gravel bank. And again, it was that scenario where I've, I mentioned earlier in the podcast where sunlight's shooting through a willow bush and there's creating sunny spots on the bottom, kind of a patchwork of sunny spots underneath where this willow bush is hanging out over the gravel. Well, I could see fish sitting there. And people would walk by on the trail. There's a trail on the other side of the willow bush, a paved trail, a, a, a bike path. People would walk by. They're 20 feet from the fish. There's no way the fish could see them because they're up on the bank and well behind the willow bush where they cannot be seen. Every time somebody would walk by there, the fish would pull off the bank for two or three minutes, and then they would come back. And they were doing it very casually, and I watched them do it over the course of about an hour while everybody's out walking their dogs. What I figured out is those fish were feeling those people walking by on the bank quickly. They were either hearing them or feeling them walk by on the bank, and that's your clue. As with any other time you have shallow fish, you need to be sneaky. You need to be quiet because fish in very shallow water are the spookiest fish of all. So keep that as mind as keep that in mind as well. So to recap, a soft stick worm like a Senko style bait, my case Berkeley's the general is the one. Fish it very, very thoroughly. Watch your line. Uh, let the bait soak. Don't do too much with it. Don't move it too much. Don't get in a hurry. Just fish it very thoroughly. If that doesn't work, grab your spinner bait or your bladed jig. And for me, that's a power blade or a slobber knocker, one or the other in a natural color. Again, work it very slow and methodically. If you've got enough open water and not too much vegetation, Yo-yoing a lipless crankbait like a war pig, fantastic, good call. And then if you've got some deep water or a lot of rock or steeper banks, then I'm going to throw uh, a jerkbait. And that's it. And most of the time, I don't even carry the jerkbait if I know where I'm going as far as the pond goes. One of the first three are going to get it done. The other thing I'll throw out real quick is I do all of this typically on one rod, and I'll just carry with me a medium-power spinning rod with braid on it. That's the only rod I leave in my truck. I leave a, a, a two-piece medium power Veritas PLX in the truck and 15 pound braid on an STX Abu Garcia reel. That's my standard rod reel line truck rod, so to speak. I can present all of those baits on it because I'm throwing spinner baits or chatter baits on the small end of the spectrum. I'm throwing the, the unweighted five inch the general, which again, I can easily throw on that, and the half ounce slipless crankbait, which is on the high end for that rod, but will work just fine. So that's all I carry, guys. I keep it simple. The last thing I'll throw out there is wear 
If you're ever going to wear good quality solar polarized glasses, now is the time because winter is, has a tendency to make the water very clear for one. For two, you have a tendency to have fish very shallow for two. And then for three, you're looking for the fresh aquatic vegetation. So the ability to see in the water is really important. I really focus on my sunglasses this year. I wear Costa's Green Mirror 580 lens. Uh, it gives you extra contrast, provides enhanced contrast between greens and browns, which means it's very easy to see aquatic vegetation on a brown bottom. So that's the lens I wear this time of year, and I don't fish much on cloudy days. If I was gonna, it would, I would change the lens, but typically for me, I'm gonna go this time of year, I'm gonna specifically target sunny days to do this, and that Green Mirror 580G lens is the way to get it done. So I appreciate you listening to this episode of Fishful Thinker Podcast. More importantly, I hope you'll take some of it to heart. Go uh, go hit some of the ponds in your area. It's maybe not a numbers game, but it's an excellent chance to catch the biggest bass you've ever seen in that pond. And several of my largest bass ever in Colorado were caught in March in various ponds around. So it's a time of year that I feel confident that if you do get a bite, it's very likely to be a good fish. So if you want to join the conversation on the rest of our social media, I would appreciate that's at Fishful Thinker on YouTube, on Facebook, on Instagram or TikTok. Uh, would appreciate you checking those out. That would be important to us. And I also hope you'll check out World Fishing Network and Altitude Sports and Entertainment uh, and see what we've got airing that week uh, for you on television as well. So appreciate you tuning in. This has been Fishful Thinker, the podcast. <laughs>